listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed, it is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listener-submitted calls and emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. It's true. This is the final episode for the year 2019. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just wanted to create some suspense there. Now we're going to take we are going to take January 1st off. Uh this this podcast is recorded every two weeks, and uh, so the first and the fifteenth. That's fortnightly. Yes, and this is December fifteenth, two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. We are going to skip January first. We'll be back in the middle of January, twenty twenty. Yep. Way in the future. Yep. Two thousand twenty. So we'll see you guys next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, we're going to take the uh, holiday. Off January first is a holiday here in the states, right? New Year's Day. It's yeah. is it a holiday everywhere? Don't know. I don't know either. I'm sure it is, unless you're in China. If you're in China, <laughs> you're probably not listening to this show. But you, anyway, happy okay. Chinese New Year. Are you done? To all our listeners, what's on your bench? Uh, on my bench, I've been working on a couple of interesting uh, vintage pieces for a friend of mine named Russ. I have known for a long time. I. I I've worked on a lot of guitars for him. Um, but one is a crazy little, it looks like the early Harmony Stratotone. It's like a gold colored. It's so cool. Peanut body thing. Yeah. It's not a Harmony. It is a K. And on the headstock, it says Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah. But it's a little gold Stratotone looking thing. The early, early Stratotones, you know, with the tiny little body. <clears throat> I have Single to... pickup. It has a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I have to walk by Eric's bench to leave my shop, and I had to stop and look at that guitar. I don't normally care that much what's on Eric's bench. She really doesn't. It's true. <laughs> but this guitar is eye-catching and beautiful. and It's super cool. Almost kind of crude. I mean, it's an early... This is, a, this is an early electric guitar. It's a 50s guitar right right um but it's it's almost crude in its design it's beautiful in its simplicity and it has a great aged patina on mm-hmm. it and it has a single pickup it is the k 
Thin Twin, the famous Thin Twin pickup. Yeah. I'm sure that that pickup has another name, but it's the pickup that shows up in the K-Thin Twin or the Jimmy Reed model. Right. So really cool guitar. I just put a picture of that on my Instagram if you want to check it out. That's at Eric Daw Custom Guitars. Cool. Uh, we're pretty excited around here because any day now, Santa's sleigh is going to come uh, <laughs> come jingling down the street. Yeah, and a giant drop, semi. Drop off a brand new industrial sewing machine for Melissa. I have been bugging Eric. I just talk his ear off and watch uh, tutorials about how to thread my new machine. She's very excited. This is a guitar podcast and none of us care about leather, but... Why don't you tell us, what is, this is a Cobra? I got a Cobra Class 4 industrial sewing machine. And this is a big deal. It will sew through like uh, like four inches of leather, like a ridiculous amount of leather. It's a big deal. This is an expensive little unit, by the way. It's, it, <laughs> you, you could buy a, you could buy a, a nice little car for, for yeah. what this costs. I've a, been a, lusting after it for A used car, a 20 year old. Yeah. Car with high miles, but still a decent car. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's on its way, so I'm pretty excited about that. Melissa's very, very excited. She doesn't hardly want to leave the house because <laughs> she believes that any moment the semi is going to pull up and drop off this... Uh, it's going to come on a pallet yeah. with a, a forklift, I assume. How, how are we going to get that? So her, her shop is upstairs. Mm-hmm. From my shop. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, this is a very heavy machine. How are we going to get that upstairs? We're going to carry it. Okay. With our hands and brawn. All right. It's no small wonder I have a bad back. Yeah. Should Anyhow, we take some questions? Uh, yeah, we have a few calls that we're going to take. Okay. And so uh, let's do that. Here comes the first one. Hey, Eric and Melissa, this is Mike in Chicago calling. I'm calling about that question that you had in the last episode about uh, converting a Les Paul to master volume and master tone and what to do with the other two knobs. Uh, Eric, you suggested uh, some dummy knobs, which I think is a great idea, and I wanted to introduce, uh, maybe introduce a new term into the vocabulary. My friend and I call that kind of knob a producer knob. If you're playing a recording session, or a live gig and the producer or the sound man asks for some sort of change in your tone that you deem unnecessary or perhaps ridiculous. You just go, oh, yeah, sure, hold on a second, and adjust <laughs> the producer knob, the dummy knob. Uh, try playing again, and nine times out of ten, the uh, person on the other end say, oh, yeah, much better. Great, thanks for that change. And, of course, you did nothing because you turned the dummy knob. So, yeah, so producer knob, just wanted to uh, introduce that term there. So, thanks for the great podcast, and uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Nice. I love it. That's hilarious. You could also call that a sound man knob, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the sound man is always, as a live musician, the sound man is always on your case. And sometimes. Like, and it's usually about turning the guitar down. Yeah. You turn the guitar down. Uh-oh. This never happens to me, of course. I just hear other people. Right. Other people. Tell yeah, the me sound about man that. always says, "Hey, man, you should turn your guitar up. Everybody oh, yeah. wants to hear you." No, most of the gigs I play don't have a sound man. Believe me. They used to. <laughs> when I was in Seattle, I played plenty of gigs with a sound man, but um yeah, not any longer. That's all right. Yeah, producer knob. I like it. It's funny. Indeed. Thank you for the call. 
Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is Bill from Nashville, New Hampshire, driving home in the snow here, and I am about to embark on a job of cleaning a 92 Gibson EDS 1275, So, and it's white gold hardware. At any rate, it's been sitting in a closet for 10 years, maybe, and the owner took it out and wants me to set it up and wants me to clean it, and on the guitar, there is a couple of things that have happened to the finish. One, maybe it looks like some moisture or something, I don't know, but it's discolored. Um, I will forward pictures in an email this evening when I get it um, on the bottom of the guitar. Not sure what can be done about that. Also, he said his daughter put a red heart sticker on the upper horn of the guitar, and when he took it off, there was some red dye or whatever that is in the finish. Again, I will send attached pictures. So, what would be the best way, if at all, to clean this guitar and try and get it back to white, or at least get that sticker residue off or whatever? Some recommendations on how to clean this up. Thank you. Best of luck. Take care. Wow. Yeah, thanks for the call. I am looking at the pictures you sent now. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't tell how... I can't tell from the pictures, and I, I probably wouldn't be able to tell in person either, how deep that discoloration goes. There's like a there's like a pinkish-red discoloration from the heart sticker. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of other weird discoloration going on down on the bottom of the guitar. Um, all you can try to do here... Uh, is use some light polishing compound and just see what you can buff out. My guess is some of these, some of this discoloration isn't going to go away, but if, if, uh, if enough of it is just surface, you, you can almost, almost certainly make it look better. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if it's going to disappear. Right. If you have a buffing wheel, put it on the buffing wheel. If you don't, use some, use some polishing compound. Uh, you can get, you can get good polishing compound like down at the auto parts store, you know. Um, Mirror Glaze is a good product. Mm -hmm. Mir Mirror Glaze makes all kinds of uh, nice polishing compounds that, you know, you use on your car finish, but it's it works great for guitars. A lot of luthiers use Mirror Glaze. Stuart McDonald sells some really good polishing compounds. I have several tubs of it. But uh, I would start with maybe a medium, a medium grit, uh, rubbing or, you know, polishing compound mm -hmm. and then follow up with a fine polishing compound and see if you can just elbow grease some of that discoloration out of there. That's probably the only way you're going to be able to do it. I mean, anything else is going to be pretty aggressive. It's got a, it's white, but it's yellowed. And what, what, what happens on those is, you know, the white is an undercoat and the, then it has a clear coat over that, and the clear coat yellows. And so if you start to rub through the clear coat on this, you're going to make your discoloration worse because you're going to rub through the yellow clear coat and down to the white undercoat, and you're going to end up with with really white spots. Yeah. So you don't want to get after this too much. Just clean it up, you know, a little bit and see if you can 
and you know, especially this red, there's a, like a red mark up by the neck pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, if that'll, if that'll rub out, that'll be nice. Nitro lacquer is a great finish, but it, it does tend to, you know, from stickers and from whatever else, uh, it does tend to pick up stains if something's left on the finish for years and years. So, uh, and that just seeps in. So it, these discoloration spots might be kind of deep, you know, all you mm. can do is try, man. You can probably make it look better. But again, if you go after it too much, you're going to go through the yellow clear, the yellowed clear lacquer and mm-hmm. make it look worse. So be careful. Do we have any more calls? We do. Thanks for the call. Let me get to it here. Hi, guys. Ty from Vermont here. Going through some of your old episodes, uh, I came upon that great uh, one on capacitors. And I buy that you have debunked the uh, miracle cap issue. But you had mentioned that you use, I think, a 0.015 capacitor, like that, whereas most of the world uses 0.022. Mm-hmm. If there's no difference in um, capacitors at a frequency, can't you just dial back an 022 and get to the same setting as you would on a 015? Uh, I'm confused. Thanks. I see what you're saying, I think. Uh, I could take this one of two ways, so we'll just explore both, since I'm not 100% sure what you're saying. Okay. Um, there, there is a difference when we're talking about different values of caps. So a .015 cap and a .022 cap do sound very different when the tone is dialed all the way off, okay? The .015 does not roll off as much treble. The .022 rolls off more treble, so you end up with a muddier sound. Now, I, I don't think that's what you meant. I, I think what you meant was, if you have a .022 cap, why don't you just roll it off like, you know, 60% of the way, mm-hmm. and then you end up with the same tone you might have from a .015. That's a good point, and you can certainly do that. My problem is that a .022, to, to my ears... <clears throat> It rolls off so much treble that it's just unusable. So that extra, you know, 40% that if you if you stop at 60% and that's where you want the tone, I would just always be doing that. In fact, I almost never mess with my tone knob anyhow. Um, I only use it for effect sometimes, but um, to me, I, I don't want that. I don't want all that treble gone from my tone. So uh, I the .015 leaves enough of the, the meat of the tone intact that you can roll the knob all the way back and still have a usable tone to my ear. It's The simplicity of it is that you don't have to find a sweet spot of a .022. You could do that, but it just makes it easier to use a cap that I know I like the sound of. Right, it doesn't matter what it's what the composition of the cap is, just the point oh one or point oh one five cap um uh is my favorite because it doesn't scoop off so much of the tone, right does that make sense? yeah, yeah, so that's the deal you know here's here's something cool this is what I like to do with a point oh one five cap in a band setting mm-hmm. if you set your uh, tremolo on your amp just right and you roll a .015 cap off just right 
and you play kind of B3 organ style comp chords in a band setting, you can kind of get this B3 sound organ, you know, mm-hmm. with the Leslie. If you just do it by yourself, you know, right in your basement, it doesn't sound that impressive. But in a band setting where you're blending in with everybody else, if you do it just right, people kind of look around like, where's the organ player? Because <laughs> you can pull off with a certain tone and with the vibrato set just right. This is what I, this is the only thing I ever do with the, the tone cap. You roll that tone off, you turn on your vibrato. You can play little two-note comping chords, and you can make your guitar sound pretty convincingly like a B3 organ buried in the mix. Well. Anyhow, I hope that answered your questions. I I just um I I don't use a I don't typically use a .022 cap because uh, it just rolls off too much treble for for my ears. It depends. Now, that's my own personal guitars. When mm-hmm. I'm building a guitar, sometimes I'll use a .022. It depends on who it's going to. Sometimes I'll use a .015. Do you ask them, like, do you like more treble in your tone, or do you just decide? No, I, it's more complicated than that, but, um, yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool. Tip, typically, .015 is what I use in my builds, but, yeah. Anyhow, that is all we have for calls. Let's take a little break, and we'll come right back with some emails. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at ECGuitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I saw a video that Tyler, the luthier at Emerald City Guitars, did recently on PAF pickups. And I'm wondering if you saw the video. Here's a link. I did. I did see it. Anyhow, I would love to get your take on some of the information in this video, especially considering your tenure at Emerald City and the fact that Tyler basically has your old job. I would love to hear you chime in on some of the more controversial claims in this video. And for a hint as to what I'm referring to, check out the comments section. I enjoy the podcast and both of your work very much. Keep it up and thanks. Bill in Oregon. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Yeah, thanks, Bill. You know, Tyler... Uh, I've, I have not ever met Tyler. Okay. I, I don't know him. Uh, but what I know of his work and what I know, uh, from what I've seen and from, uh, what I know of Emerald City Guitars, 
uh, he's a great luthier. Knows what he's doing. He knows his stuff. He's a sharp guy. He's ab- like, you know, let me tell you something. I had mixed feelings when I left Emerald City because, for one thing, it was a it was a great job. Emerald City Guitars was a great job for me as their full time tech. Okay, because it's like a it's it's one of the greatest guitar stores in in the country, if not the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have an inventory you would not believe. Go to emeraldcityguitars.com and check out their inventory. These are the kind of guitars I was working on for Emerald City Guitars. So I hated to leave that job, but uh, I had to. We, we moved. So uh, the other thing that I felt weird about was um, I, I love those guys, and I love that store, and I wanted them to be in good hands. I didn't know who was going to take my place there. Right. And they asked me for recommendations and I didn't really have any. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what to tell them, you know? So, um, they found Tyler or Tyler found them. I'm not sure how it worked, but however it worked, it, it was actually really a big relief to me because I think he's great. And it, um, it was a relief to me to know Somebody is there mm-hmm. that is doing a good job. And that knows what, what they're doing. He works on a lot of my old customers' stuff, you know? Right. I mean, people that have been bringing me guitars for years now bring him their guitars, right? So right. I wanted I wanted there to be somebody good in there. And, and he is. So that's the first thing. Get that out of the way. So, yes, Bill, it's true. Tyler basically has my old job. Uh, and... Uh, and I think he's he's great. Um, I saw the video uh, and uh, I thought that it was great. Uh, there's really not much in the way of controversial claims in there, in my opinion. I did read through the comments. Ninety-eight percent of them are just you know glowing comments about what an awesome video, right? There's a few comments that were you know picking him apart. Yeah. But welcome to the internet. Right. I mean that's just. You know, I deal with that all the time. I mean, there, this is this was probably the biggest complaining comment I saw. It says, quote, There's a ton of false information in this video, unfortunately. I'm sure it's well-intentioned, but there were no bridge or neck-specific magnet types. Magnets were not magnetized in a block of many, and Gibson didn't spec particular custom heat treatments for the magnets. Regarding the pole, screw, slug alloys, the carbon content doesn't enhance treble, but higher iron and steel increases inductance in the core of a coil. This is the reason for treble differences with different alloys. Anyway, it goes on. Um, If you haven't seen the video, it's basically just a historical overview of the PAF pickup, Gibson's patent applied for pickup, Mm -hmm. and its different components. He goes through the cover. He goes through what the bobbin is made of, the the wire that they used. He goes through the fact that they're machine wound and talks about the magnets, all kinds of things. It's as, you know, as accurate as anybody can be. I mean, look, Tyler's not an electrical engineer, okay? And neither am I, right? Right. Um. There's things we know about PAFs, a lot of it's conjecture, Um, there's a lot of myths about it. Uh, it, From what I could tell, you know, 
pretty much everything he says in this video is right on. This particular comment here is kind of nitpicking some some details. Like, for example, he says, uh, so in the video, Tyler says, the high carbon content of the slug screws enhances treble, right? Mm-hmm. This commenter says that the higher carb- carbon content doesn't enhance treble, but what it does is increases inductance in the core of the coil, right? So they're splitting hairs. They both agree that the high carbon content increases treble in the end. In the end, you end up with increased treble. Tyler doesn't say it's because it increases inductance in the core of a coil. So this guy takes it upon himself to be, you know, the internet police, right? Which you run into. I know, sigh. That guy's a forum dude. Well, maybe not. I don't know. He could be um, the world's expert on pickups. I don't know. But the bottom line is what I'm saying is he wasn't taking an issue really with what Tyler said. He's agreeing with what Tyler said. The higher carbon content in those slug screws enhances treble. What he's saying, he's he's just giving some extra information, you know. And right. you could you could certainly leave that as a comment in a different way, rather than rather than coming off as, uh, you know, somewhat controversial. Like I know more than you, dude. Well, but this you know that's how internet. he intended it. Whoever. Wrote yes, that. I yes, I'm fully aware of that. What I'm saying is there you you know. There's another way to to approach this, but right, the, whatever that doesn't matter. Anyway, bottom line is, um, I thought it was a great video. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, there's great information there. Tyler's a good dude, and uh, I, you know, you're just gonna get you're just gonna get negative comments. I'm surprised I don't get more on some of my videos, which I don't have very many on YouTube. But um, yeah, certainly I get my share of flack on. Mm-hmm through Instagram and email and, and on videos, but that's just the internet. Right. Yeah, it was a good video. Thanks for the question, Bill. Hi, Eric. I've heard your interviews on Fretboard Journal and just discovered your podcast. I live in London, England, and am a, com- a keen amateur when it comes to repair and restoration. Ab- we, we knew you were from England because you said keen. Keen. I say keen sometimes. Yeah, you don't. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. The great thing about coming late to you is that I have 90-odd episodes to catch up Mm. on. Love your aging work in particular. Happy Christmas to you and your family. Kind regards, Max. Thanks, Max. Appreciate the shout-out and the uh, the kind letter. Mm -hmm. Merry Christmas to you and your family, Max. Merry Christmas to all of you. (laughs) Hi, Eric. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. I recently came across a Taylor DN8 from 2007. It showed up locally for about $800, and even though I've never been particularly drawn to Taylors, I thought I'd check it out, and lo and behold, I bought it. It sounded and felt great. However, after just a couple days, I noticed something going on around the center strip on the back of the guitar. It feels just like a classic crack, but upon close inspection, it looks as there as if there might be something going on with the lacquer along the outer piece of the three-piece purfling on the center strip. It covers about one-third of the back and starts about around the ne- end of the neck... I'm sorry. Around the end of the end block. Thank you. 
There is no indication of a crack when looking inside the guitar. The braces and the center seam reinforcement seem flush against the back. Also, I read somewhere that the very tips of the Taylor bridges from this period weren't glued, but only held in place by the lacquer, resulting in a, in a little fluctuation due to the humidity levels that would likely reveal a minimal gap. Have you ever found this to be true on some of the Taylors you've worked on? Thanks for your time, Alexander in Sweden. Thank you, Alexander. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's a nice guitar, man. I mean, and it sounds like you like it. You bought it. You you tried it out. You thought it sounded and felt great. So that's great. Uh, your um, the line along the center strip sounds like uh, it's just you know what happens. You know when you've got two pieces of wood glued together, a lot of times what happens is um, they they'll shrink and expand at different rates, and you'll end up with a lacquer line, right? So mm -hmm. if it's not a crack and it's just a, a little bit of a line that you can feel with your finger, um, it sounds to me like it's just a, a seam line. It's nothing to be worried about. If you can, um, if you can push on the wood on one side of it and uh, see some movement in that crack, then, then it's not, just a just a seam line it is a crack and you'll need to work some glue into it but it sounds to me like you've just got you know a, a seam that center seam there's a strip of wood things shrink and expand at different rates and you end up with a little line in the lacquer just nothing to worry about right if it's mm -hmm. if it's not a crack yeah just nothing to worry about at all and on the on the bridge um edges yeah, you know, I don't know about Taylor specifically, but a lot of guitar companies do this. Um, there's a, a little bit of lacquer that goes under the bridge, maybe, you know, an eighth of an inch or a quarter inch, and uh, goes all the way around the bridge sometimes, and so the bridge is only glued, like, in the very center. Mm. I, I see that all the time. So, yeah, it's certainly possible. I'm sure, t I'm sure Taylor's done that, too. Um, really common, really common. When I see that, uh, I, I tend to score around the bridge and remove all the lacquer if I'm, if I'm taking the bridge off and re-gluing it mm -hmm. so that you've got wood to wood contact instead of some overlapping lacquer. So absolutely. Uh, if it's not, if it's just something you read and you're worried about it, then just forget about it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like people, sometimes they get a guitar and then they read something on a forum like, well, that particular guitar is known to have this problem. Mm -hmm. Well, if yours doesn't have that problem, then... Don't worry about it. Why worry about it? Yeah. Right. I mean, is the bridge lifting up? You know, if it is, then yeah, get it fixed. But you don't need to worry about how it's glued if it's, if it's not coming off. <laughs> you know? <laughs> don't worry about it. Thanks, Alexander. All the way from Sweden. <clears throat> hey, Eric. New listener currently catching up on past episodes, so I apologize if this question has been asked. I got a 72 Tele custom reissue last year in a trade, <laughs> and the frets are extremely low. If I opt into replacing the frets, I've been told that the removal of the poly on the neck, which is a one-piece maple, is labor-intensive. Would there be any way to do the refret without refinishing? 
Of course, I have read conflicting views on this, but I wanted to get your opinion. With the cost I was quoted to do the refret and the refinish, $500-ish, I could buy a new neck to my specs from one of the boutique neck makers. That's from Corey. Right on, Corey. Thanks for the question. Uh, it's a 72 Telecustom reissue, right? So, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the way that they make those, they fret it and then they paint it and the paint is pretty thick. It's thick poly. And, uh, so yeah, getting those frets out from under that poly is, um, definitely not fun and more difficult than say rosewood or ebony. So, um, it, it can be done, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a vintage guitar, then it's worth it. Absolutely. I mean, $500 to preserve your real 72 telly, right? Right. Um, I like to try to leave as much as lack, as much of the old, you know, finish as possible. But sometimes it's very hard to remove those frets because they're, they're under the lacquer, right? So you have to score around them to remove them. Uh, on the old finishes that, that finish sometimes can become really brittle and, uh, you know, trying to get those out cleanly is, is, it can be difficult. It also can be touched up, you know, but I like to leave as much of the original finish as possible whenever possible when we're dealing with a vintage guitar. Now this is a modern, I'm assuming like, you know, Mexican made Telecaster, uh, the neck. I mean, if you can, if you could find one on eBay or Reverb, just a neck, and it's less than what it would cost to have it refretted, I would probably consider doing that if it were me. Um, if it's uh, if it's a sentimental guitar to you, and it doesn't sound like it, but maybe you know, maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, you could you can always have it refretted, absolutely. Um, the quote you got there of, what was it? 500, 500 ish. Yep. Um, certainly is in the right ballpark, you know, but yeah, for, you're right, Corey, for that money, you could just get a new neck to your specs from one of the boutique neck makers. So, you know, certainly an option. It just depends on what you want to do, man. If you really like that neck, I mean, sometimes that's what happens. I mean, even if it's a... Even if it's an inexpensive Telecaster and, you know, you just fall in love with the feel of the neck or you just, you, you just like it. Yeah. You can have it refretted. Absolutely. So it's really your call, man. Either way, what I'm saying is all of the above, all of the options are definitely, um, viable. It just, you're just going to have to do some soul searching and figure out what it is you want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Corey. Hi, Eric. <clears throat> I am thinking about getting a Les Paul gold top, but I would like a light relic on it. Some checking, aging on the plastic parts, light age on the metal components, and a little arm wear. You do such a classy job. It would be nitro with mostly nickel parts. Is this a service you hmm. offer? What would be the approximate cost? Thanks. Merry Christmas from Nick in Utah. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> he says he's getting a Les Paul gold top. I assume a Gibson, right? Yeah. He, he didn't say a copy, you know. Um, I t this is something that I typically turn down. I don't know if, Nick, I don't know if you intended this to be part of the podcast or not, this, you know, but we're including it here. 
Um, but I already got back to Nick through email, but uh, I'll answer your question here. Uh, this is something that I get a lot, and I'll typically turn it down. A, it's new nitro lacquer, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of plasticizers that they use in those fin. They don't want those finishes to crack. Right. So, um, when I do lacquer checking, uh, I do it with temperature, with cold and and heat. You know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I don't honestly, I don't know uh, if Gibson's lacquer on their new guitars will do that. I don't know how they how they'll react. I didn't paint it. I don't know what's on there. They say it's nitro. Is you know, I mean, I I use as close to the old formula as I can, and I make it brittle on purpose. You know, when I'm when I'm painting a guitar to be aged. So I don't know. I don't know if that will work. If my methods will work on it, uh, it's just not something that I've spent a lot of time doing. So I turn that down. The other thing about it is, and this is just very practical, it's not a fender. The neck doesn't come off. Right. It won't fit in my freezer. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the honest to god truth. The I've got a I've got a freezer in my shop where I can put necks and bodies to age the finishes. You have to take the neck off to fit it in there. Right. I can't put a whole guitar in it. So I don't really want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the truth, man. Right now, that's you can just leave it outside. You could. I mean, see, I don't want Nick to send me his Les Paul and have me leave it out in the yard. <laughs> that's not a very professional thing to do. <laughs> I don't think that's a plan. Uh, yeah. 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 Sorry, Nick. Uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of email about. Hey, I have I have a new guitar. Will you age it? And Almost 99% of the time, the answer is no, I won't. I I, I know how to age the finishes that I do. I know how to age and relic the guitars that I make. I don't know how to age new Fenders and Gibsons. And I don't want to, I just don't want to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Hello, Fret Files hosts. Eric, I'm needing to route a bigger pickup cavity in one of my parts guitars, and your podcast has given me the inspiration to do it myself. Mm, That's good. I have a plunge router that I've used a few times, but what bit should I use, and how do I use those pickup route templates? Your Mm. advice will be so helpful. Thanks, Gary. Well, right on, Gary. You've got a plunge router, and you know how to use it, he says, right? Mm -hmm. So. So what you want is a special ball bearing router bit that is designed to use for templates, right? So uh, basically it has the router, the bit, and then above the bit it has a ball bearing that rolls along the edge of the template so that you can only route inside where the template is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they usually have a little bit longer shaft than a standard router bit so that you can, you know, do deep routing when you need to route out pickup cavities and stuff. Uh, Stuart McDonald sells some great ones. Uh, let me see here. On stuartmcdonald.com. Yeah, ball bearing router bits. They have one three-eighths of an inch diameter and one half inch diameter. $34 and $38 respectively. They are uh, 
probably if you're only going to get one, the half inch one is the one to get. The uh, three eighths one is for more, you know, for tighter corners like neck pockets and things. If you're just going to do a pickup cavity, the half inch bit should work great. There's a ball bearing that um, rolls along the edge of the template. I think Stuart McDonald sells, you know, they also have the templates. So whatever you're doing sounds like maybe you're putting a, a humbucker in a strat or something. Mm-hmm. You'll get the humbucker um, template, place it where you want. You can secure it with double-sided tape and uh, then use your plunge router to to do that. Once you get Once you get your first cut done... You can remove the template, or you know, first or second cut. After that, you can take the template off and um, just route directly in the guitar because the edge of the of what you've cut already becomes the new template. Mm. You can go deeper that way. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you can get them a lot of places, but uh, Stuart McDonald. That's that I have got. I've got both of these bits, and they're great. Cool. Yeah, here's from their website. Extra long carbide-tipped router bits produce clean, precise body cavities when used with our templates. The ball bearing guide matches the cutting diameter, and the long shank allows multiple pass routing for deep cavities. The half-inch diameter bit is recommended for most of your routing chores and comes with one bearing. Yeah, so if you're going to get one, get the half-inch one. The 3 eighths inch cutter... Uh, use that only for routing corners that need a tighter radius. It comes with two bearings. Okay, there you go. Cool. Well, good luck, Gary. Yeah, be careful, man. Router, the router is one of the more dangerous tools that we use around the shop. Hmm. Really be careful. Seriously, <laughs> it's, router's nothing to mess around with. Yeah. Hi, Eric. What is your price range to refinish a Strat body? In, mm. in parentheses, Fender Eric Johnson. Don't know what that means. All info appreciated. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I get a lot of these as well. So uh, I, because of the high volume of requests I get to refinish guitars, I have to draw the line somewhere. And so what I've been doing... Uh, since I moved back to Idaho, uh, is I I will only accept vintage guitars for refinishing. I won't I won't refinish your new modern Fender or Gibson or whatever. So only I only do vintage restorations. So sorry about that, Tom. Thank you for the question. That does it for this episode. We're gonna take the next few weeks off. We'll see you back here in the middle of January. If you want to participate in the show, you can do so by going to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is call 757-774-8482. Leave a voicemail any time of day or night. It'll just go right to a recording. You can also text that number if you want, 757-774-8482. We will use your questions and comments as part of the show. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. Happy holidays, everybody. Good night. Good night.